Welcome to Tentpole Trauma, the podcast where we look at movies that came with hype and high hopes, but left with crushing disappointment, either critically, at the box office, or both. Freed from the weight of expectations, we seek to examine these underperformers under a new light, parsing through the good, the bad, and everything in between with the hopes of gaining a better understanding as to why they failed to find their audience. Warning, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie that we're discussing today, I suggest you stop the podcast and go watch it. Then when you come back and listen, you'll get more out of the discussion. This episode, we examine the 2010 remake of The Wolfman. I've been a Universal Horror fan for as long as I can remember, so I was pretty excited back in 2010 when the Wolfman remake got released. I'd been following the production, I knew Benicio Del Toro was playing the Wolfman, which I thought was great. I knew the original director left and was replaced with Joe Johnston, who I liked but didn't think was that inspired of a choice. But still, I was really excited to see it, even after numerous delays. The first signs of real trouble were the extremely tepid reviews, and tepid is a kind descriptor, but I maintained my enthusiasm, and on opening weekend, dragged my pointedly disinterested girlfriend to see it. The movie started promisingly enough with a pretty cool werewolf attack, but as the stilted drama set in, I could feel the audience snickering and turning against the movie. And more importantly, I could feel my girlfriend turning against me for dragging her to see this thing. We didn't last much longer. Still, over the years I have maintained a certain affection for the film, even buying it on Blu-ray to have it as a, as I call, put on in the background kind of movie. Something that's visually pleasing that you can just look at and not really pay attention to it. Over the years, I've even tried to get friends and family to watch it with me and perhaps reevaluate the film, but usually I'm just met with a healthy serving of side-eye and skepticism. So am I insane for liking this maligned movie? I guess that's a question we'll have to address today as we deep dive into the 2010 remake of The Wolfman. All right, this is Sebastian, and I'm here today with Jennifer. Hello. And Chris. Hey, how's it going? And we're going to be talking about the Wolfman remake from 2010, directed by Joe Johnston, who did uh, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, and he did The Rocketeer and Jurassic Park 3, and written by Andrew Kevin Walker, who wrote Seven and some other stuff. So, oh. you know, there's kind of a pedigree there. Uh, I already, in my intro, talked about my experience with this film. Jennifer, do you have any previous experience with this film? Yes, I do. My first exposure to this film was through you, insisting that I watch this film. I think it was probably around 2012 or 2013. Does that sound right? That sounds right. Yeah. 
And I remember just not really, um, not really getting that into it. I, you know, I was just kind of, I wasn't, I didn't hate it by any means, but I just was kind of like, eh, okay, that's, it's, that, that was fine. But then watching it uh, for the podcast, I had a different experience this time, which we'll go into. Um, also watching uh, both theatrical and the um, unrated version um, made a big difference. So, uh, but yeah, I did not see it in the theater. Um, I, it's not really, I'm a horror person, but, and I like Universal Monsters. The creature's more my guy, but I'm not, you know, not super wolfy. Okay, Chris. Um, yeah, so my experience with Wolfman was I saw Dracula um, in high school, loved it, thought it was great. Um, I thought it was like a great goth movie that um, everybody seemed to be into and goth was a big thing. And then Frankenstein came out, which was, I guess, an unofficial sequel to to that. It still had the same vibe, it had a good director and a bunch of goth production design and that was not just to be clear we're talking about the uh, coppola dracula and the kenneth Branagh frankenstein exactly and um so i was kind of following that thread because i love dracula even though i, I it, it's flawed and then frankenstein came out which i didn't love as much but it was still a good time and then wolfman came out and i believe it was touted as like the third of a trilogy of you know, the same type of pedigree. We're going to make, we're going to give this treatment to um, these three monsters. And I believe, I don't know why I didn't see it at the time that it came out. Um, maybe because the reviews were bad or I was busy or something like that. But it took until now that Sebastian was doing this podcast that I was like, oh, I guess it's time to watch it. And, <laughs> uh, and I've seen it for the first time. All right. Well, before we get into your feelings on the movie, Let's just kind of dig in. This movie had a troubled production. It uh, was originally going to be directed by um, Mark Romanek, who's a pretty cool director. Yeah. He did that one one hour photo. Mm-hmm. And um, lots of great music videos too. That's right. And I was working at Cinephile at the time, and uh, ben- not to name drop, but Benicio del Toro would come in. And he was a huge Wolfman fan, and he was really excited that he was going to get to play the Wolfman. And um, I'm a huge Wolfman fan. I love the 1940s original, so I was excited for him to play it. Uh, But it took a long time for the movie to come out because uh, there were just, you know, Mark Romanek ended up leaving at the last minute, and there were, like, delays. Joe Johnston took over and had to just work with whatever they had. And, you know, then it ended up, the release ended up being delayed for whatever reason. So it ended up like taking two years for it even to come out, but that's a little background on the on movie. So let's just get into it. It starts with um, the universal logo. So this is definitely, they're setting it up that this is a universal monster movie um, in the, uh, the theatrical version. Yeah, it's cool. And the theatrical version, it's pretty just, it's just black and white, but in the unrated version, you get a sort of more old school, like 1940s Universal logo. Yeah, I love that. It's really up. It's updated, but feels old school. And it's like, it's really the right way to go, I thought. Yeah, it sets the tone. I don't know if they intended this to be the first of the quote unquote dark universe that they were trying to do a few years back. They would keep saying, 
you know, they, they, I think they said it with this movie. Then they said it with Dracula untold. Then they said it with the, the Tom Cruise mummy. They were really hoping to do a Marvel universe of universal monsters, which I would have been game for, but they, they should have, that, that should have been the tagline, <laughs> but they couldn't seem to get that going anyway. Um, so this isn't really the beginning of the dark universe because there is no dark universe. It starts off with some Danny Elfman music, which reminded me a lot of the 1979 Dracula that came out in the disco era with Frank Langella. Mm-hmm. It really borrows some themes um, for that. To me, the score just sound doesn't sound like Danny Elfman at all. It, it very it, to me, it just sounds like they're ripping off the score of uh, the Coppola Dracula, you know, with that sort of luxurious string arrangements. And it's a strange, like, I remember thinking, I'm like, didn't that, I think he, is he a Czech uh, composer for the Coppola Dracula and he had died. So I was like, who's, who composed this? Cause it sounds exactly like him. So, and it, <laughs> I was shocked to see that it was Danny Elfman cause it doesn't sound like his trademark, you know, score at all. It doesn't sound like a kooky circus. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. No, I think he was intentionally trying to evoke that. Uh, apparently, he was originally hired to do the score, and then they tried to go with another score, I think, and then they went back to his score. Anyway, it's just oh. sort of typical of the the sort of troubled production of this this movie. And anyway, moving on, it opens with the, a quote from the original, the, you know, a man becomes a wolf when the wolf bane blooms. That's straight from the original, mm-hmm. and I'm, it's pretty stylish in a sort of computer-generated way, yeah. which, is a, which is a thing I think this movie, it can either be a plus or a minus to you. Like, it's very, you know, they're going for that really goth thing, but it's pretty computer CG goth. Yes. Agreed. 100%. I think that's the problem. That's, what, that's something that makes the Bram Stoker Dracula stand out is that they went with a lot of old school visual effects and just, you know, the, the feel of the whole thing uh, was purposely sort of antique. Whereas this, the production design works, but the, the filmmaking techniques are very modern and they're hit and miss, you know, sometimes they work and then sometimes you see, Oh, that's just a morph cut that just, they just put in there because they could. Okay, so we get the opening attack, which is, you know, we later find out is um, Larry Talbot's, I'm going to call him Larry just because I think that's funny, Uh, (laughs) Larry Talbot's brother getting attacked on the moors. There's sort of a voiceover from Emily Blunt, which I didn't feel added anything to it really. And, you know, we get this whole attack, which is pretty cool, but I feel like it, it feels very rushed. The whole beginning feels rushed. Like, well, the voiceover from Emily Blunt in the theatrical version is she's uh, writing a letter to Larry, right? right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. she's, and, you know, we're getting this, this backstory. And that was like the, the beginning. I just felt like, is it me? I don't know what, what just happened. What is going on here? Like, is it just, it, fe- it feels like we just, it, it zooms by and, and, and not in a good way just wait way too much too fast and it just feels like it's just kind of thrown together and and yeah i was completely just baffled at at some of the things that were going on well in the unrated cut you get a little more of the attack and we get this whole scene 
of Larry acting. He's supposedly on stage in London. He's uh, performing Hamlet or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And Gwen does not write a letter to him in this version. She actually comes to the theater and he's backstage and he's sort of got a cool bathrobe on. He's sort of rock starring out and she implores him to come uh, because I think his brother is missing at that point. Mm -hmm. But he sort of puts her off, but she kind of gives him a guilt trip. I felt like compared to the theatrical version where all you get is this voiceover from Emily Blunt and you're suddenly right at the you're right at Blackmore Manor. I felt like the unrated version was an improvement. Yeah, I, I I see having watched both of them, I definitely can see how the pendulum swung hard both ways. You know, like the extended cut is way too long. There's way too much intro. You know, it'll take like half an hour before like that gypsy attack happens. So I understand why they cut. Um, a lot of that stuff because it's just needless exposition. But now hearing Jen's reaction to it, I think, you know, they obviously cut maybe too much because they're they're really just, you know, trying to keep it tight and compress everything so that it, it gets going. But I will say, having watched the extended cut, that, man, it's kind of a slog and a drag to to get to where the movie's going. You're sort of coming in at it from the opposite end of Jen, where you felt like the extended was taking too long. Definitely, definitely. And and you saying that it's a troubled production and that the, you know, the director got swapped out at the last minute totally makes sense because this feels very, you know, made by committee where nobody had a strong vision and they were like, okay, well, it's too long. Well, now let's make it too short or whatever. And, you know, no one actually said, I understand the story. We're going to make this happen. This is, you know, exactly what it's going to be like. It definitely feels that way where there's not a strong vision, a hand at the helm. I wouldn't want more. Uh, This was like, in this case, it just, for me, I was like, I I felt so much more like, oh, this is what they're doing. Because I I remember even being like, is Larry an actor? Like, is that what he was doing? Because it's like literally like, just like a quick flash of him on the stage or something. And I'm like, wait, and, and setting up also with Emily Blunt, like, because throughout the film, I was I'm like, okay, I know she's supposed to be, you know, it's complicated, but she's, you know, supposed to be kind of a, a love interest. And I just wasn't really feeling it. But then with this at the beginning, with her coming there, there was just more to their relationship. And I actually was more invested, so to speak. But um, yeah, so anyway, the the unrated worked worked for me, especially in the beginning. I wouldn't say that in any version, their relationship <laughs> is, is no. the strong point of the movie. But in the the theatrical cut, you get nothing. Zero. You're like, I don't care at all. <laughs> at, at least in the unrated cut, you you have some reason to care. They've mm-hmm. had some scenes that are meaningful. Yeah. In the uh, in the theatrical, there's nothing. Um. Well, this is just kind of a general note of just about the action and how the wolf, um, you know, plays out in his attacks. Like it's something. There's movies like Jurassic Park or, you know, other werewolf movies, which give you that sense of, you know, a wild animal attack. And, you know, if you've ever been around like, you know, an angry dog or anything like that, you get that sense where it's like, oh, oh my God, like anything can happen. But when he attacks, it it, it feels more like a bus hit <laughs> than, than an animal attack, you know, because he just comes in out of nowhere and just slams. It's like half jump scare, half bus hit. And it just it. I don't know. I just feel like it, it doesn't it doesn't work. It's not a unique way of, of you know, having him attack. And it, and it just doesn't feel scary to me. 
it feels more like a superhero thing. Yeah. And I yeah. feel and I think that a lot of this movie has that kind of feel where it's almost more of a superhero movie, even though the superhero is, you know, killing people. It just has a more modern superhero vibe to it in a weird way, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. This is uh, relates to a point that I have with just the story in general that I feel like they set up a lot of things that never pay off. Like, why have him be an actor? Why, you know, uh, have them meet backstage at the beginning? It's just, there's there's so many weird threads in this story that just don't seem to pay off. And and I, I feel like, I, I feel the story being stretched. And like we were saying, the right amount of information is somewhere in the middle between the theatrical and extended cut. But there, there's just so many ideas in this story that never pay off that they were trying to like give love to some and then not enough for the others it's it's just kind of a mess i think with the him being an actor i, I totally know there's definitely things i agree with you chris that never come to fruition but i feel like part of the him being an actor is like they're trying to paint this picture also which i think again is more represented in the unrated version is that he is such an outsider to the town at, as, mm. at, at this point like he's totally like a, a fish out of water like um you know and and is, i think like even at one point anthony hopkins is this you know kind of says something along the uh, like oh coming back to the you know small town or something along the lines right, of that right. you know so i think they're trying to make him like just as uncomfortable there or like not wanted there or you know right. even without even before all the other stuff happens that that's I mean but yes there's so many things that are set up that don't really pay off but that's that's all I could gather from from going into his acting career maybe it's also <laughs> to to say that his uh, mid-Atlantic accent is because he's an actor and has been away for so long <laughs> that's right oh he's in New York that's where he picked up this weird accent like I also think that's what it, how it was in the original, which uh, didn't really play into anything in the original film either. But I think they just that's why because that's the character. Gotcha. You know, as as known from the 1940s film. Yeah. In the unrated cut, we get a scene on a train with the great Max von Sydow. Like, why do you cut Max von Sydow out seriously. of your movie? Larry is looking at a picture of his mom and then Max von Sydow sitting across from him. And Max von Sydow has this silver wolf cane, which to your point, Chris, doesn't end up paying out in any real way in the movie. And it's only in there. And I think this might be the, the overall answer to your question as to why things don't pay out and why they're in there is because in the 1940s movie, He's the Wolfman is killed by his father with a wolf's head cane, just like that cane. Ah, okay. So it's a setup without payoff, as like a twist to the old people, the people who knew. Okay, the, sh the yeah, the cane is not the strongest point of this movie. Okay, so we get to Blackmore Manor, which is the Talbot estate. We find out at that point that his brother is dead. You know, I think the production value, whatever you feel about this movie, I think the production value is pretty great. All the locations are really cool. I love the look of the manor. It looks like, a, you know, kind of like a rundown Downton Abbey. Yes. Um, with lots of leaves in the interior. And mice squeaking. <laughs> lots of squeaking. We get Anthony Hopkins and he's, you know, he's doing your pretty much like standard late period Anthony Hopkins performance. 
but it's one of those cases where he's Anthony Hopkins and he he's totally watchable. It's you know, it's he's not doing anything. He seems kind of half asleep in a way and he's not doing anything spectacular, but he's just great cuz he's Anthony Hopkins. Totally true. Totally agree. Yes, I just yeah, he's just kind of being creepy and just yeah doing doing his thing and and it's a great i think opening scene to having him come in there definitely run down downtown abbey lots of spider webs just kind of in in disarray um but yeah it's i I was happy happy just to spend some time with with anthony you know anthony hopkins at 50 percent is still better than most people's on 100 (laughs) percent. absolutely (laughs) yes yeah, the production design is definitely stellar. I mean, it's got that goth feel and it's definitely the, I think the best thing about it, you know, I mean, the cinematography as well with the high contrast lighting and the smoke everywhere, everything looks right. You know, they mm-hmm. they definitely spent the right amount of money and and have the right feel going. It's the other stuff. It's the story and the acting that to me don't work. And Anthony Hopkins can do no wrong, of course. He's definitely phoning it in. And like you said, his phoning it in is already better than most people's full throttle. But can we talk about Benicio for a second? Like, I feel like he is not giving me much of anything. And I'm also trying to think of what other lead roles he's had where he's knocked it out of the park. Like, he's always great as the crazy sidekick. And I think maybe he's not capable of of pulling off the lead in a movie like this where there's not a lot to Larry. I mean, he's just this mopey guy. He's supposed to be an actor, but like, I feel like I get nothing from his character. He's definitely trying to, I believe, especially with his haircut and everything, which is not terribly flattering on him. He's got a sort of like almost bull cut. Like a Caesar cut. Yeah, that was, was that the style at the time? Was that cool or was? I don't think so. Um, he looks a little puffy and he's kind of looks a little overweight. So I think he was trying to actually invoke Alon Chaney Jr. Right. who played the Wolfman in the original. I mean, he was a huge, huge fan of that movie. Um, but I also think he might be a little checked out because I think he was very supportive of Mark Romanek. And when I think he was a little upset that you know, they switched out directors and, you know, he may have been sort of checked out. We need to have a, a term for that, like, you know, like Marlon Brando with Island of Dr. Moreau when an actor uh, gets ditched by the director and then just phones in the movie. Like, can we call that something? Well, but I don't know. I don't I wouldn't compare those two because uh, Brando and Island of the Dr. Moreau is crazy. Right, <laughs> right. Like does whatever you want. <laughs> well, he Benicio should have done that. You know, that would have been more interesting. Yeah, I think he's got his moments. I think, you know, when he's getting ready to change and stuff, I think he does good. But I I agree when we're doing the sort of straightforward stuff and he's just trying to be sort of, you know, mysterious romantic lead, it doesn't really work. I don't think that that's his his wheelhouse. No, I was fine with it. I just I, I think but also I'm just like such a fan of his. I really like him a lot. So I'm I'm just giving him a pass like. I, I don't know. I was fine with it. I, you know, I wasn't looking at him and his performance that critically, especially once I got to see the unrated version and got, got to spend some more time with Larry. Lots so more I knew time. What, lots of more time with Larry. So I knew what was, uh, what was really going on with Larry. 
Um, but yeah, I, I thought I thought his performance was was fine for for what it is. Okay, so uh, moving on, uh, he goes to the village to see his brother's body, which is being kept in a slaughterhouse. I, I don't know if that was common for the time or if they just thought it would be kind of a cool touch. But we get sort of a you know quick shot of the body, and I feel like the gore effects are good. Overall, in this movie, they make a real attempt to lean into the R rating, which I appreciate. Uh, a lot of the times, it's sort of CGI gore and violence, but you know they don't hold back, which I like about the movie. I thought that scene was gross. Like I, in my notes, I wrote "yuck" because it was just that's how I felt. Because I mean, it's our. I, 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 yeah, I had the same question. I was like, "Is this is how it was done?" I was like, "Or they just really hate." Ben and they hate the Talbot family and they they just threw him in here in the, the slaughterhouse because this is this is just gross and I mean and they're like you really feel it because it's like Benicio is like just covering his face and I'm like buying it I'm like this place stinks this is this is nasty and I thought uh also when they pull it back it was it was a good a good like it made the first time it made me kind of jump because I was like ugh, like, I wasn't ready for for that like uh the, the there was some serious wolf chowing down on Ben <laughs> well, and I think you might have a point about the townsfolk because in the next scene we go to the pub and the townsfolk are sort of talking about the brother's death and you know Larry's there at the in the corner at a table and he's you know hearing them talk. He looks at a medallion that he found on his brother which isn't very well explained. The townspeople are blaming the gypsies and we, you know, we get a werewolf story. You know, a lot of this reminded me of the pub scene in American Werewolf in London. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, now, in the unrated version, one of the guys starts talking smack about the family, you know, talks smack about his mom going crazy. And you know, Larry, the scene ends with Larry throwing a drink on the guy, which, again, I felt this made the scene better in the theatrical cut it's just the scene he doesn't interact with him at all he's just sort of sitting there so i felt like the unrated cut at least shows you oh he doesn't get a, he doesn't like the villagers they don't like his family this is probably why he left and puts a nice button on that point yes i agree um because yeah in the the theatrical he's just sitting over there kind of just sulking and listening and and the, the townspeople are also alluding to the fact that it might, you know, it, it, it might not have been a beast. It could have, like, they're kind of talking about, it seems like they were, I think they're talking kind of about, like, Jack the Ripper or something like that. I mean, do you remember they're kind of talking about that there's there's a, a mentally unstable, you know, uh, man that could have done this or something? Right, and wasn't uh, Hugo Weaving, like, was his last case was the Ripper or something? Yeah, he, yeah. he was, yeah, he was on the Ripper case, right. which, yeah, uh, Larry kind of needles him with because obviously they never caught Jack the Ripper, so. And I think, like, they were also kind of alluding to um, Larry's mental state, which we learn more about later. So this, this whole pub talk and you reminding us that, you know, this happened in American Werewolf in London and how it's it's pretty much the same same scene, same beats, you know, beware, don't go out and blah, blah, blah. And this like trying to be spooky warning. But I feel like it, it there's no twist on it. You know, in, in Frankenstein and in Dracula, the the MO was let's go back to the book. Let's go back to the source. Let's sh let's do it how it really was in the book that and because it's, it's never been done beholden to the book the way we're going to do it. And that was what they were thinking. Whereas with 
Wolfman, what was the MO here, you know, to, to be beholden to the old movie? Because they're just retreading all these cliches without adding anything new to them. I feel like they're they're just, you know, or right, here's the here we're gonna do the Wolfman story the way it would be as if it were a cliche. <laughs> and you're like, well, so what? All right, I guess we get some better special effects, get some good actors, get some good lighting and production design. But there's no imagination. There's no umph to it to me. Well, they're, I think they're just trying to update the whole thing for modern audience who don't want to go back to the 1940s sure. one and watch it. But to your point, they're kind of taking from just werewolf movie history right. and kind of throwing it, throwing it all in there because they don't have a book source. Mm -hmm. they, you know, there is no novel of the Wolfman. The 1940s movie was the original version of it. So... You know, I kind of see what they're doing. I feel like they're just trying to sort of update yeah. the gothic werewolf movie as an abstract, not as a specific thing. Got it. Uh, now, in the unrated cut, we get a, a dinner scene with Dad, Gwen, Larry, and the Kim Thale seek <laughs> um, who, who doesn't get introduced at all, or he gets really barely introduced at all in the theatrical version. He's just sort of standing in the background. And they dine on baked eel, which is just about the grossest thing I can imagine. I can't think of anything that I'd like to eat less than <laughs> baked eel. Um, and they talk about the superstitious villagers. And we get a real sense that there's tension between Dad and Larry here, which I like. And it gets really uncomfortable for Gwen and she leaves. I appreciated this scene because it set up more of the dynamics dramatically. Yes, I appreciated this as well. Um, also, with his, I believe he called him his manservant, um, the the Kim Thale um, seek. I that was another thing where, like in the theatrical version, I was like, "Did we meet this guy? Like it happened yeah. so fast with him." In the theatrical version, I was like, "Wait, what? What's going on here?" Um, and you want to know who he is? Of You're course. Like, Who's that guy? Yeah, no, you definitely want to know who he is. So yeah, I, I I appreciated more of him. The seek is another thread that just never pays off. <laughs> Did you see in the um, unrated cut when he picks up the guitar and starts ripping on some Soundgarden riffs? <laughs> I would have loved to have seen that. Now, in the theatrical version, they cut right to uh, the manor. And, you know, there's this sort of awkward scene where Larry goes to Gwen's door and he's like, hey, I'm here. And, you know, it, it, when you've seen the unrated, you can see that this is a scene they threw together to sort of set it up that they've met yeah. at this point. Because, you know, she's all, in the theatrical, she's only written him a letter but there is this weird thing where the letter she wrote keeps coming up again in the unrated version, which didn't happen in the unrated version. So what a mess. Yeah. Like as an editor, I think it's interesting to have you on this conversation specifically, Chris, because you are an editor and you've probably been involved in some projects where they've had to sort of cobble things together from different versions. It was definitely obviously just left in and they were like, fuck it, who cares? And, you know. I'm sure it would. It made sense in like probably like the first, you know, maybe two and a half hour cut of it, and then they just kept chopping away, and then who knows who they brought in to do a hack job. But um, I'm sure a lot of those threads were left in, and and they just instead of you know in that in specifically in that scene, if you look where he meets, I think it's the theatrical cut where he meets her for the first time in the hallway. 
a lot of his dialogue is on her. So it's just ADR him saying like, I got your letter. Very nice to meet you. And you can totally tell that they just ADR those lines in to, to shoo in that he he's meeting her for the first time there. So yeah, this it's definitely a mess. And there's a lot of those things that I think people just wouldn't notice on a, on a first viewing. Um, but now yeah. that we're analyzing it, yeah, you're like, oof, that, no, I wouldn't. If I only watched the unrated cut, I probably wouldn't have noticed it. Um, it's just because I'm, I'm familiar with both versions. And what what I find kind of weird about it is that you would assume the unrated cut was closer to, say, the assembly director's yeah. assembly cut, and then they whittled it down. But she talks about the letter in the later scenes in the unrated cut. So it's almost as if they made the decision to cut it down while they were still filming. Maybe it was like a bigger, even bigger thing where she wrote him a letter, then went to visit him. Then, you know, Mm -hmm. like, so it's probably like a thing on a thing on a thing. And then they were just like, let's all just cut it out. And I I think that would have made sense actually, Chris, because it would have like that she could have written him first and then he didn't respond. And then she went in person because you know he wasn't responding um the other thing that i wanted to point out about when she does uh when he goes to her door is that her um maid or you know a lady in waiting or whatever you want to call her is yara Greyjoy. did you notice that no way from game of thrones yeah i was like oh "Oh my god that's theon Greyjoy's sister it's yara which was cool. Lincoln, you miss her. Yeah. She disappears. That's after it. That. I think you, we might get her in one more scene, like, but very, very brief. That's like the only reason for me to go back and watch <laughs> this movie now. Yeah, you're giving away your hand, Chris. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and the, just to touch upon Emily Blunt now, you know, I think you know she's well cast in this movie. I think yes. she does a really good job considering what she's been given, which I think is a pretty thankless role. There's not a lot to it, but I mean. She gets some moments to cry and stuff, and I, you know, I think she delivers. I think a case could be made for the her being the best for sure. in the movie. Agreed. Let me bring up one more point about just the brother story in general. Like, why? I don't. Maybe this is originally in you know in the original Wolfman, but it just makes no sense to have this brother standing in the way of a the love story. All of it, just like why doesn't why don't they just give the story to Benicio and have him be in love with her? And it's like this trifecta between him and Anthony Hopkins. It just seems to be a step too far. The brother is just a plot device to get him. But there. he's right. so important because it's like, oh, that's Emily Blunt's, you know, fiance and all this stuff where it just seems like it, they could have figured out a different way of doing it. You it know? just seems like a gothic romance kind of thing. You know, totally. oh, the dead brother, you know. The, OK, well, it, it, it adds so. a layer of, you know, sadness to it. They just needed to. I, it was. I agree. They just needed to get him. I as as far as like the why why that's important is just like because it comes to you know to light later about you know how much he hates his father and how much mm-hmm. he hates this town and like wouldn't come back. So it's like, and and again, if we you know if we do believe that there was a letter and then there was her going there and and you know I mean there could have always been some sort of th- kind of thing between them because yeah it's the whole gothic like you know, longing and all that stuff. Yeah. But yeah, it's just, I think it's totally just to get him back home and to just make it the most dysfunctional family ever that we pretty much get to find. And and worst dad award of all time, which we'll come to find out later. (laughs) And I will say this. I don't think that 
Benicio del Toro and Emily Blunt have sizzling on screen nope. chemistry. <laughs> on uh, and speaking of worst dad award, we get another scene um, with uh, Talbot and his dad and uh, Anthony Hopkins looking out the telescope to the moon. Again, the telescope is a reference to the original film. His dad in the original film, who was played by Claude Rains, uh, is fascinated with his telescope. But the telescope never comes into play later. So it's yet another sort of reference that doesn't have a real point in the story. That scene, I do love that Anthony Hopkins takes the time to blow out almost every single candle that he has in the room, which I'm like, you know what? Fucking A, that's realistic, you know, like... With the production design like this, you're like, how many freaking candles does this guy have? And they show him. It's like, you know what? It's time to go to bed. This was a ritual we used to have. I, you'd have to sit here, open up this thing, blow inside, put it out. And it's actually a fun callback when you see him in his, sorry, spoiler, if we just jump ahead to his little man cave or wolf cave thing. <laughs> there's like 8 million candles there. And I just kept thinking, I'm like, how long is it going to take him to blow out all these in his cave, man? It must take a long time. It was the family crypt, I believe. Oh, okay. I'm surprised he didn't make his poor Kim Thale manservant yeah. blow out all these candles. Um, but I, I, I thought also, Chris, I noticed the candles as well. And I was also really impressed with like some of the cool like lantern type devices they had like totally. with the candles as well. Like kind of these like kind of mini torch type things. I don't know what you would call mm-hmm. it, but I was like, I, I thought that was really, again, with the production design, the, the attention to detail was was really cool. Um, you know, that blowing out all the candles thing was was all Hopkins idea. Probably. You know, it's like, I, I need to blow out all these candles. <laughs> okay, Anthony, go ahead. <laughs> um, all right, now in the unrated cut, we get Larry going to Gwen's room you know, but it's a different scene than in the theatrical, and he apologizes for making her uncomfortable in, over dinner and gives her items of her brother's. It's you know, it's not like a great scene or anything, but it definitely helps. Sort of, you know, you feel that her character is more endeared to him by it, as opposed to in the uh, theatrical, where you don't really understand why she would be endeared to him at all right. because they don't even really have any real scene. So again, I feel like it's a better scene. Um, then we get to one of a few sequences in the film where Larry is having a flashback. It plays like a dream sequence, but he's not sleeping. He's awake and he's just sort of having these traumatic flashes of maybe he took the spice. <laughs> And he's playing with his his brother and the mother is watching. You know, they wake up at night and something sinister is going on in the house, like in the hallway. Is this where we see the blood come out of the sidewalk? I remember that being a very cool image. Yes. Yes, I believe that's where we see that. Um, It's all done in this very stylish, gothic kind of look. But it feels a little like they're trying hard to be trippy and spooky. And I don't know if it's... They kind of go like a little too far, I think, with some of the the techniques. But he goes out into the garden. We get a cool topiary, some cool topiary hedges, a gorilla, which I appreciated, the topiary gorilla. Mm -hmm. For sure. You know, the movie looks expensive. They didn't spare any expense, which is why it's appropriate to do for tentpole trauma, because they spent a lot of money on this movie and it bombed. So I feel that it's appropriate for this podcast. No doubt. And I I will say that the night scenes 
all look like they're shot at night, you know, and the lighting is great. And, you know, there's no day for night here at all. And kudos to the cinematography for making it look appropriately scary. Yeah, I mean, I think the cinematography is uh, is impeccable. Yeah. I forget who the cinematographer was. Um, I feel that it fits in with the Coppola Dracula and the Kenneth Branagh Frankenstein, at least in that regard, Definitely. where, you know, you know, it's high, high production value update. Interesting. The cinematographer is Shelley Johnson, and he was also the cinematographer for uh, Captain America, the first Avenger. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Because uh, same director. Right. Buddies with Joe. But also to Chris's point about, you know, bringing up, and you agreed with that as well, bringing up the superhero feel to some of the, the film. Anyway. Yeah. And Joe Johnson also did The Rocketeer, which was also sort of a throwback superhero to 1940s type of thing. So it's kind of his wheelhouse. I can see why he was hired for this when Mark Romanek left the production. He was also a special effects guy, right? Didn't he work on Star Wars and yeah. a bunch of stuff? So, Yeah, he was like a Spielberg protege, a guy who came up through Spielberg. Yeah, we get to see a quick shot of a de-aged Hopkins with a goatee and the dead mother, and it's sort of framed to look like a suicide. She's got a, a straight razor in her hand, you know, but I think at this point, nobody's really thinking that that was... <laughs> A suicide. The mother having, you know, spoiler, the, the fact that the mother was killed by Hopkins is really not a surprise no. at all. Nope. E even on first viewing, you're like, she didn't kill herself. <laughs> it's kind of one of those performances by Hopkins where you know immediately he's a bad guy. Yeah. You know, sort of like the sort of like the Jack Nicholson shining where you're like, yeah, of course he's going to go crazy. He's clearly crazy. <laughs> Yeah, even if you don't know exactly what his deal is, you you know he killed her. Like you don't even if you don't know how it went down, you 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 know what I mean? Like there's more more to be revealed, but you immediately know that he's he's the villain. And in that scene, Benicio, I feel like gives nothing right after you see his mother dead. Like that was one of my notes when you see that happen, you'd think, you know, oh, I'm reliving this childhood trauma and it cuts to him and he's just like, "Oh, yeah. I remember that." And I'm like, the hell? What? <laughs> What's going on here? Why didn't anybody direct this guy? To, or I don't know. That's an example of of my um, of a moment where he he failed to deliver for me. I feel like it's a little unfair to judge his performance right. totally because the the editing is so suspect in right, the movie right. that I feel like a lot of the especially these scenes where he's having these flashbacks they could have been like put together from something That's else. True. Like I would have to have read the script to know if this was all intended to be in there from the beginning. Maybe I'm reading too much into Larry and maybe I'm just too much of a Benicio def defender. But I, I also think that, um, you know, as we find out more, you know, sorry, spoiler alert that, Larry spent some time in an asylum. Yeah. And they, they did a lot of bad things to Larry. I don't know if he is even able to have the proper emotional responses at this point. Because, I mean, you see what goes on in the asylum. It's 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 bad news. So maybe Larry's just tapped out. Like, this is, you know, like, this is all the reaction that he can muster. Or maybe he just saves it all for the stage. <laughs> <and> <laughs> <perform> <laughs> <Hamlet>. <laughs> 
All right. So then moving on, uh, we go to the brother's funeral. There's, you know, more gothic imagery. Then uh, Larry and Gwen have have a moment by the waterfall. He talks about his father's cruelty. And then that's, as you were mentioning, Jen, where we get our first mention that he was put in an asylum. And then after that, sent to America. Um, This sort of waterfall setting will also come back into play at the very end. Yeah, that's where he says, uh, Gwen says, Ben said that you guys played here as children and Larry says it was our refuge. So we find out that Gwen is leaving, um, you know, whatever. This is all happening super fast. It just feels like these scenes are really cut to the quick here. Then we get Lawrence goes off to find the gypsies because he's learned that his brother was involved with them or something like that. And, you know, I like the gypsy camp. It's pretty cool. It's, you know, it's about what you would expect from a big budget movie gypsy camp. Geraldine Chaplin, the daughter of Charlie Chaplin, uh, is the gypsy woman. Oh, no, she's also I know her from. um, Do you guys know the movie with Holly Hunter um, home for the holidays? Do you remember that? at all with like Claire I've heard Claire of it Danes. but I haven't seen it well I highly recommend it it's really good it's Robert Downey Jr. and Holly Hunter and anyway um, it's a fun holiday film but that's where that's where I reckon and Downey Jr. was in Chaplin <laughs> oh interesting yeah good connection also on this scene we get a quick uh, Rick Baker cameo Rick Baker mm-hmm. is the famous makeup artist who did designed no way uh, he designed oh. American Werewolf in London and lots of famous monsters. He designed. Did he work on this? He did. He designed the werewolf. Okay. Nice. We get a quick cameo of him here. He's the guy that's just kind of on lookout and he's watching and then he gets slammed by the uh, werewolf really quickly. I also wanted to bring up that before we get Larry going to the gypsy camp, which by the way, we all know is um, not a good word, but that's just how they use it in the film. Yes. Just disclaimer. I was, it's a little puzzling that Larry's dad, I, I made a note of this because he's like telling him, like, you know, you should stay inside because it's going to be a full moon. I don't want to lose you too. And then he says all of that. And then it's like cut to, we see Larry riding off to the gypsy camp, like, you know, whatever dad, because of course he's yeah. not going to listen to him. So yeah. I guess as I'm talking it through now, I'm thinking like, Maybe it was some sort of reverse psychology to like to get him to go out. It is weird though, the way it cuts right from him <laughs> saying, like, Don't go out. Don't go out. And like, I don't want to lose you too. And then, yeah, he's there, he is galloping away. Another great cut. Uh, we get the prerequisite in a universal monster movie. We get villagers with torches, they show up. For the bear, because they they blame the gypsy's bear for the uh, the attack on Larry's brother. The bear is very clearly not a real bear. Yeah. It's a CG bear. But, you know, we don't want them torturing a yeah. bear. Well, did you it. hear what he said? He says to uh, somebody says, like, he doesn't all he does is dance. And I was like, oh, that's sad, Aww. too. Like, he's a, like, a dancing bear. I hate circuses. But, yeah, it's yeah. Just, yeah, but that's like somebody said that. He's supposed to be an old, like, bear that's like about to be put out to pasture, right? Like, I think the pub people are like, there's no way that bear could have done this. He's so old. Yeah. And, yeah, you, you feel a lot of sympathy for that bear, even though he's CG. At least they don't have the bear fight the werewolf and get torn apart. That would be more sad. I will say the claws through the policeman's mouth is pretty cool. That that was one of the cool deaths. I love that shot. High high praise for that, Chris. Yes, that that I I love that. I love that kill. Yeah, and, and that's you know that's what happens. The the werewolf attacks the camp, and you know we get that shot and a, and you know a bunch of other pretty fun gore moments. 
this is when the movie really comes alive for me, these scenes. There's a lot of fair criticism to be had of the film when it's trying to be dramatic, but I feel like when we get to werewolf action, it's pretty good werewolf yeah. action. I mean, yes, yes. guilty of maybe being a little too CG at times, but, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just happy to see a wolf man, werewolf running around killing people. You know, I like the way the werewolves run on all fours at some points. It's a little goofy, but I I just like it. Dude, that's great. It's almost like, you know, in Transformers when they transform to the different mode to go faster. You know, totally. it's just like, yes, yeah. it's it's almost like a cheer moment. Like, you know, if the, if the movie were better, you would definitely be cheering at that point because you're like, I need to go fast. How do I do this? And then it's just great. I love it, too. It's 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 total chaos when when wolf wolfing happens. But it, it's like chaos in the best way. It's like it's exactly it's like for all the the slow burning that's going along. It's like you really get a payoff. And I love this scene in particular because you have people screaming, it's the devil, yeah. it's the devil. And then, yeah, it's just total chaos. And then like he, there's like the little boy or the little girl that like loses their mom or, you know, or the mom's looking for them and like the kid wanders off or something. There's just like, it's, yeah, just so much, so much happening. And like, it's really intense. And like, you're, yeah, you're just kind of on the edge of your seat, literally. For sure. But in the, the in the extended cut, it takes like what forty fifty minutes to get to this point. So <laughs> I, there's a yes. definite reason why they cut it. At this point, you know, we get to sort of see that Larry has a hero in him. He grabs a gun and sort of goes to help people being attacked. Um, there's this one kid who runs off. He goes to help him. The kid runs off into this like stone Stonehenge. Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> Which I don't think it's literally supposed to be Stonehenge. In England, are there just, mini you know, Stonehenges like all around the corner in the countryside? Is that I had what the it is? same exact same thought. I was I just was like, is there just one that we know of here in the States? Are there there are many, many of these? It makes me want to live in England even more. I'm a druid. You, know, you could just have a mini Stonehenge in, in your neighborhood. How cool would that be? <laughs> you know, the neighborhood Stonehenge. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's super foggy and gothy, which I love. I'm a sucker for that kind of imagery. I don't care if a computer's doing it. I love it. And that's the point where we get that uh, Lawrence is attacked by the werewolf and bitten really savagely on the neck. So we know he's now bearing the mark of the wolf. And uh, the villagers show up and drive the wolf away with their guns and they bring Larry to the gypsy woman, and you know everybody's basically telling her to kill him, but she won't do it. She tells them he can only be released by someone who loves him, and we're all wondering Ooh. who's that? Because <laughs> his dad doesn't love him. love him. Kim Thale. The stitching up of the wound was pretty gross in a good way. That was great. Like when she's yeah. stitching it up, that was with one of those long curved needles like a fishing hook yeah and... that was that was cringy in a good way not to bring it back to bram stoker's dracula again but there's i feel like with dracula you almost get more bang for your buck because dracula can be dracula he can be a bat and he also becomes a wolf and the wolf yeah. in that is almost more interesting because he can do way more things even as sex yeah which is more than you can say for this, you know. But, I mean, I guess this is, again, doing the classic wolf thing. But um, I, I would have liked a little bit even more craziness with, with the wolf here where, what else could he do, you know? But I know they're trying to keep it classic. 
Yeah, but then you'd be dealing with angry werewolf fans right. who will tell you <laughs> what you can and can't do with a werewolf. And if you don't think that they'll do that, think mm-hmm. again, because horror fans can be really pedantic about what their mo- movie monsters the are allowed to do. If, if you ever want to find out, go wander into a zombie <laughs> conversation because yeah. there's a lot of strong feelings. I got a question. Where did the term like, is it lichen? Right, that lycanthrope. Lycanthrope. When did that become come into use? Because I know what was it? Underworld is that is that where they use it the most? But uh, you know, was it always around? Well, they call them lichens. Okay, right. I think it's been around since the eighteen hundreds. I I didn't research it. I don't know, but it's it's a term that's been around a while. It's been around before because it's in one of the books where she's researching, and I was like, oh, there's that word again. But like, when did pop culture? When did the movies start using it? Because I don't remember it from the 80s. It definitely, no, it was definitely being used in the 80s. It was, it was. It seems like instead, like, you know how they go, the Batman, instead of Batman, they're like, let's say, let's call them this. And so we don't have to call them werewolves now. And it just seems like, like, let's latch on to a new term. Yeah, it's a kind of, and it sounds sort of scientific. So it makes you sound smart. Right. When you say it. Well, it was first, the first mention of the word, according to Wikipedia, was in um, 60 AD. Whoa! Wow. Yeah. Okay. So it's the it's a it's a Greek word apparently, and its translation it's Lukos, which is wolf, and Anthropos, which is man. Ah. So it's Lukanthropia or Thropia. That's where it comes from. The definition of it is that it's a form of madness involving the delusion of being an animal, usually a wolf with corresponding altered behavior. Uh-huh. But yeah, so it's been around for a long time. I don't know when it was, like like Seb said, I don't know when it was first mentioned in films, but it's it's a term that's been around a long, long time. It's used in movies and stuff earlier than you think. I wouldn't be surprised if it's used in uh, the original Wolfman or Werewolf of London, which was the first official uh universal werewolf gotcha. movie. not american werewolf right. in london werewolf in, of london but um yeah good research uh interesting facts so Lar- larry is brought back to the manor gwen comes back and like gwen keeps coming and yeah. going <laughs> in the movie <laughs> It's like just stay put, Gwen. Yeah, the funeral's over. What is she doing? Well, she like, leaves and then she comes. You know, it's just like why? Why are they moving her around so much in the story? Just have her mm-hmm. stay there. Who cares? It's a weird, baffling, uh, you know, sort of plot thing that keeps happening. You know, Larry's his head is swimming from I don't know. You know, being infected with lycanthropy, <laughs> and we're getting these sort of dreamy you know, heroin visions, you know, we get the sort of golem looking wolf boy. So golem, yes. I mm-hmm. thought I wrote down the same thing. Yes. Like, it looks like they just took the like they took the golem model from Weta <laughs> and just threw some just he really looks like Gollum. And you know, we'll later learn what that wolf boy is. And um it all it's it's all fine, but it just seems kind of, you know, thrown together to add some scares or whatever and then this is and again this is this is when um kim thale seek showed up and in the theatrical version i was like wait who is this guy again because it was just so like in in the unrated we get so much more of him anyway so he shows up he comes in with a tray and then you know larry's like oh to gwen i i thought you were leaving and gwen's like this place is impossible to escape 
and this is, you know, this is besides, this is the least I can do. Yeah. And then we see Larry, you know, starting to heal. Did we pass over the spot where um, Anthony Hopkins and Emily Blunt pass each other on the stairs and he just... I was just about to bring that up. I love I mean, talk about classic, awesome Anthony Hopkins where he's just eating the apple and just gives her the creepiest stare in the world. I love it. Well, that's only in the unrated cut. Yeah. How could they cut that? that I mean, I <laughs> come on. Like, Yeah, I mean, and in the unrated cut, this whole section is much better because it's really montage in the theatrical. And the unrated, they kind of let it breathe a little. Like, you know, we get that scene, like you said, where uh, they pass each other on the stairs and you can tell while he's eating the apple <laughs> that he really doesn't want her there. Now, does that make sense with... I'm sorry to skip to the end again, but he said... Is he supposed to be in love with Emily Blunt? Okay, because there's a certain point where he's like, your brother was going to take her away from me and blah, 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 and I can't yep. deal with her being yep. away. I was like, wait a minute, what? Was th- was he into her the whole time? And th- I was totally confused. No, Chris, I felt the same way. But I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but I, I, I think it was just because she kind of reminds him of uh, his oh, dead wife. Right, because the, and then the statue of his dead wife looks exactly like Emily Blunt too, right? So, yeah. okay. All right, that, I guess that makes but sense. But I had the I had the I had the same thing though too, but then again I was like, okay, this is gothic like anything goes. Right. Like okay. the dad could be in love with her too as Emily Blunt, you know. It was like damage, you know, like that movie yeah. damage. <laughs> yeah, you know, now that you're bringing it up, I think maybe you might have a point. And I've seen this movie more times than you guys, and I never that never really sunk into me cuz it's so sort of thrown in there. But yeah, I think, you know, he does have sort of some weird thing for her yes. because of it, she, she reminds him of his, his dead wife. Maybe Anthony Hopkins was like, remember Legends of the Fall? That's the only type of movie I'm going to do where everyone falls in love with a girl, <laughs> all three brothers. But yeah, it's a real crime against cinema that that Apple moment was cut out of the theatrical. It's Agreed. great. People needed to see that on the big screen. <laughs> So Lawrence is better, sort of. Benicio just kind of seems like he's been on a like five-day bender. Got a stiff neck, right, that scene? Yeah. The doctor comes and checks him out, and you know he's healing miraculously, which the doctor is clearly unnerved by. Hopkins' uh, dad is kind of try- being nice to Gwen, but it feels sort of threatening. And now that I'm thinking about it, maybe he's attracted to mm-hmm. her, as you pointed out. It's just a basic like, okay, it looks like he's on the mend kind of uh, part of the story. But we know better. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, you know, he's looking at his wounds and he's seeing how how much healing he's gone through. And then Kim Thale, they get the real scene with Kim Thale, Seek, and Larry where he's, uh, the Seek is in the dining room or something and he's like loading up uh cleaning the he's cleaning the gun or like something a, the like elephant gun or whatever it is yeah. yeah he was cleaning guns and you we learn that he's been there the Sikh has been there since larry was a kid uh, his name is sing yes you know he shows uh larry his the silver bullet that he's made well, he says, and then Larry says to Sing, now that you, thank you for remembering his name, um, he says, are you preparing for a war? And then Sing says, do you believe in curses? Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's, this is when we really, it's really driven home that Sing is the manservant. And everybody needs a manservant, I think. I need a manservant. Now in comes one of my favorite, character actors especially when he's playing a villain 
Hugo Weaving. Uh, he shows up as the inspector. Not really a villain in this case, but he is an antagonist. Weaving is just basically doing Agent Smith from the Matrix right. here, but he's doing like Agent Smith of Scotland Yard, basically. Right. It's pretty much the same performance. Uh, he goes to the manor to question Lawrence about the going, the wolfy goings on. Um, <laughs> you know, Hopkins is sort of like gatekeeping, but Larry's like, no, go ahead, let him in. I'll talk to him. So they have a sort of scene in a in the parlor where Weaving starts off by saying, you know, I've been following your acting career, <laughs> right. Mr. Anderson. And, you know, he starts off sort of ingratiating himself and then the questioning becomes more pointed. You know, he's bringing up Larry's time in the asylum and then he brings up how, oh, he's an actor, so maybe he's playing another role, you know, or, you know, this, the implication that, an, you know, an actor would be more, you know, likely to be a murderer. And, you know, I think that's when Larry sort of needles him about not catching Jack the Ripper. Yeah, but he's no he's no Van Helsing from uh, when, actually, when Anthony Hopkins played Van Helsing, he did bring a little bit more craziness to the role where it's like everyone's kind of stuffy in this movie and i feel like this would have been the opportunity for him to to bump it up a notch and be like a little bit different than this like stuffy straight laced scotland yard guy you know in, in in anthony hopkins van helsing literally humps billy campbell in dracula you know and it's like yeah. he, he plays him totally crazy and i feel like this movie could have used a little bit more like passionate melodrama over the top you know, acting just to just to make it more a little bit entertaining. Yeah. Jen, like you're saying, like, all right, so if Benicio is is a mopey guy who's like all inward and whatever, you need something to balance it out. Like there, there needs to be a little bit of. Yeah, agree. You know, that other flavor. Uh, yeah. And there's definitely no performance in this that goes. It's sort of in the crazy direction of of Anthony Hopkins and Dracula or of uh, Gary Oldman and Dracula. Yeah. Like nobody's nobody's pouring no. it on to that level. The movie could have benefited from a little more hand. Agreed. Then mm-hmm. now then there's some more hallucinations outside. There's another scene with Gwen where he teaches her how to skip stones. <laughs> Were you guys swept into the romance of this? Honestly, that's the one moment that they actually have that I feel like feels human. And I was like, I guess that's it. They're in love. That's it. That's all we get. That's all it takes, Chris. That's all it yeah, takes. Exactly. <laughs> Skipping stones. A love that will stand the test of time. That's right. I think I might be skipping ahead, but there's that other moment where he, she says something to him and then there's a big close up of her lips and he's just like losing control because she's so sexy and alluring. And yeah. I feel like that's the one deep moment of sexuality in the movie that I feel like could have been threaded throughout the entire thing. Everybody is just driven crazy because of because they're wolves and, you know, tie it to sexuality and this whole thing that peaked out for a moment there. Maybe that was from Romanex, you know, idea, but like they didn't really go go there with it. It was just like this odd one moment where it's like, oh, I got to get away from you, Emily, because, you know, you're driving me crazy. He sends her away again <laughs> yeah. right. at that point. Go skip some rocks. Yeah. <laughs> But no, he has like, yeah, I think that is in the moment, Chris, because it's like we're getting his wolfy hearing. And mm-hmm. then I think he's like wolfy horniness, 
with, with <laughs> it's 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 very it's just a few it's like a t another scene later okay. so it's right it's right around that area it's a different scene but it's close by um, where he's like yeah yes. zooming in on her like her pouty lips and like kind of i think maybe even like her chest area or something like her neck yeah. or something he's like it's like the nape of her neck and he's like looking at her pulse yes. through her skin right. yeah, the but, artery, so if that's the point yeah. of the movie as anthony hopkins will later say he's like it's so good to be the wolf let the wolf free like you know that should have been Benny struggle the entire time has been like well like it feels good to be the wolf but no i can't i know i can't but whereas that touched on it a second but you know i feel like if that's your thesis of the movie that's the reason why the the main bad guy loves being the wolf and i feel like that's an interesting concept you know and they touched on that in what ang lee's hulk you know it's like the craziest things i like when i hulk out and yeah so i feel like that could have been explored and and brought to a you know a satisfying thematic point i think he's he got a complicated relationship with his wolfiness because he's like i think you know he would maybe if he didn't have such the past that he did right. and the family issues that he did he might be able to lean into it more mm. but i think it's because of all this family stuff that's happened and like all this like you know all the stuff that happened to him or whatever he doesn't really get to enjoy being a wolf like we just get because usually i feel like with the wolf man there's usually some enjoyment and then there's remorse right. afterwards you know like when they come back down or whatever it's like going on a, a bender right. you know <laughs> so yeah <laughs> but um it's definitely well it's and it's always been a sort of metaphor used in at least in movies it's often been a metaphor for alcoholism yeah. Yeah. or you know drug addiction the beast. yeah yeah right and i think to chris's point like it probably would have been strengthened better if we got some sense of being, you know, for for Benicio's character. We get it from Hopkins, but oh yeah, but yeah, from Benicio's character that this is can be fun and exciting and exhilarating, and you you know you get a rush out of becoming this monster and killing people. I don't think he allows himself to have that. So you know the villagers are sort of you know gathering uh, up in there. You know they've. They, they think they know what's going on here and they want to take Larry in. They have this really creepy priest with them. Uh, they show up at the the manor. We see them sort of in, you know, in montage making silver bullets and stuff. We see that the full moon is coming, so we know that you know Larry's going to wolf out soon. We get a quick sort of scene with Hugo weaving at the time, totally not buying into this werewolf shit. He keeps asking for a pint of bitter, please. Right, <laughs> yeah. Like. And the lady in the pub is not having it because her her husband was killed by the wolf. So she's like, you should be out there looking for this killer. And he's just, all he wants is his beer. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and she's she's like so bent out of shape. He was like, I, you know, there there are rules. I can't just hang around here, you know, rules that will keep us from a doggy dog world. And then he's just like, you know, where's my pint of bitter? I skipped the the scene where the, they show up at the manor with the priest and Hopkins comes and fires at them with his, his gun. And he's like, oh, sorry, I meant to hit you. Right? <laughs> like, he apologizes for missing. Right. It's pretty great. <laughs> and it's sort of, you know, you're, it's a weird kind of moment because, he, you know, you haven't really seen him sort of stick up for Larry. Yeah. But now he's like he's sticking up for him. And, you know, he's like, my manservant is hiding in the on the roof. 
and he's a crack shot. Yes. But he, he's not really there. The, the Seek is not on the roof. It's a bluff. Right. And that's when he says um, to Larry, he's like, that's when he says, he goes, you're not the only actor in the family. Yeah. <laughs> so it does pay off. It does pay off. So, yeah, basically, we're all just heading towards uh, Larry turning into the wolf man, which is what we've sort of been waiting for. Basically, dad knows it's coming and he lures Larry out to the family mausoleum. He's got it all set up with candles and everything. And, you know, the mom's sarcophagus is there, which is a pretty sweet sarcophagus. Mm -hmm. Uh, Later in a hallucination, we see it sort of, you know, it's this carved marble thing and we see it move and say something to him. It's technically a wife cave, isn't it? Kind of, yeah. (laughs) That's where he keeps his wife. Every good wife deserves a mausoleum. That's right. Anyway, so, uh, you know, they go down into the the crypt and we find out that, and this is a little confusing because he like closes a cage door and you think that he's, that dad is going to lock him in. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just to separate them. Like he ha- he doesn't, we don't see Larry breaking out of anything. So he's not locked in there. No, it's because he's going to turn into a werewolf too. Yeah. Right. And that's where, he, that's where he goes all the time to keep everyone safe, right? Yes. Right. Yes. But usually um, Singh has to come and lock, I think he, Singh has to lock it from the outside. Yes. Uh, okay. That's, you know, that's what he says is Singh locks me. He says that later. Yeah. He says Singh locks me in every time I change. But, you know, I don't want to be locked in anymore. The wolf must must out. Right. And so it's just a little the way it's sort of blocked is a kind of confu- is confusing to me because we see him close a cage kind of door between them. Mm-hmm. But neither of them is actually trapped in there. Because right. then. Larry starts to change. We get the first real werewolf transformation that we see. It's good. It's see again, it's very CG. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I know I from what I know about the movie about the um production originally they wanted to do practical transformations and Rick Baker was really excited to do that. But because Romanek left under such short notice, uh, Joe Johnston didn't feel he had the time. And, you know, I remember people who were fans of Wolfman having a lot of problem with that at the time. Oh, it's too CG. It needs to be needs to be practical. And I mean, I agree. It would have been better if it had been practical. But absolutely. I mean, that's that's your money shot right there. That's why people come to see the movie is to see, you know, the transformation and if in 2000 if you're going to make the wolfman update you got to do i i'm not saying it shouldn't have been maybe it should have been a mix of cg and yeah and practical but they, they should have you know it's like oh i don't have time to do that well then don't do the movie yeah. like i feel like that's that's an important section of the movie is is the transformation right. and if you can't beat you know american werewolf in london right then why bother i hear you I, yeah i get it i get why it happened it is a disappointment and if they had pulled off something really spectacular it would have been a selling point for the movie yeah yes but you know and and this is you know this is pertinent to the the point of this podcast i think you know the transformation was shown a lot in the trailers mm-hmm. and i think you know, it was very clear from the trailers that it was CG, and I think that that turned a lot of people off. Yeah. I think they saw that, and they were like, eh, just looks like a CG mess. I'll give you the moaning sounds so painful, like the way he's like, oh, oh, 
was, I'm just like, God damn, that sounds painful, yeah. man. Like, ugh. He's bringing it there, Chris. He's bringing yeah. it. He's coming alive. <laughs> and, I, and I like the things that they focus on in the transformation. I like they show his hand getting all gnarly. Yeah. They show his mm-hmm. like leg getting bent back like a wolf's and everything. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like they knew what to focus on. They just right the concepts there. Yeah, the but... concept was there. They just you know, didn't have the time to execute it in the way that would have been the most effective. And yeah. along with what Chris said with the moaning, I think the sound was really good for the transformation too. There's a lot of the like mm-hmm. the crack, you know, you hear the bones. Yeah, like, it's just gross. And then yeah, like I always love like when the the feet come out like of the shoes and stuff too. Like just everything just busting out and just like yeah, just gnarled and knuckled and. Yeah, it's just, it, it would have been, it's a shame. I agree with what you're both saying. If it could have been uh, a mix of CG and practical, I think that would have really been been something that could have been a standout for the film. But but I think also, yes, that's something that horror fans want, but horror fans also have, uh, 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 you know, set the bar high with like you're saying with like um, um, American Werewolf in London or um, The Howling. Like you have like, you know, these transformations. Can we talk about the way he looks though? Because yeah, uh, I think um, I think he looks great, and I I know you love him too, Sebastian, because he looks like. Well, our... hold on though. When we first were watching it together, you said you didn't think that the the Wolfman looked very good. I came around <laughs> to it though. I came around okay. to it because why did you come because around to because it? I think as we talked earlier about the effects, like there's certain times where it, it looks better than others. Like there's certain lighting, there's certain things like. It just there's times where he looks better. There's times where he truly looks like our action figure, which is what I want him to look like. We have a Wolfman action figure, yeah. by the way, <laughs> and, just for, the, for the audience. And, and he he looks. I mean, I I think he's identical to that. But then there was like uh, the first, maybe it was the first shot of him um, when we watched uh, the theatrical version. I was just kind of like, eh, I don't know. And it could also be just because, like, it was more of the, the, the maybe the movement of him as well, like being more like like we said, like more superhero esque or something. I don't know. But later, I don't know. I grew to be like, all right, no, I'm into this. Like, I like the way he looks now. But yes, you're right. In the beginning, I was like, mm. well, I mean, I brought it up. The reason why I brought it up and wanted you to restate your feelings on that is because you're not alone. There's a lot of people who don't like the look of it. I have friends in the horror community who weren't into the design. And I like the design. The reason why I like the design is because it evokes the original Wolfman. It's an update of the original Wolfman. And it's also a sort of take on the um, Oliver Reed werewolf Mm -hmm. from... Curse of the Werewolf, right? Curse of the Werewolf, the Hammer Werewolf movie. It's sort of a combination of those two. More the Oliver Reed werewolf in, in his clothing. I love the clothing. For me, that that kind of makes it. I mean, I don't. I'm not aware of you know the various looks as, as you guys are, but to me, it feels like the correct way to update the classic werewolf. You know, and with, when he's got that vest and and shirt on, and just the the shape of his head and the the way everything looks. Yes, it's you're like. That's that's perfect, you know. That that that's him. Yeah, I I love that too. And it's that that sort of vest look is sort of similar to what Oliver Reed is wearing in The Curse of the Werewolf. Yeah, I love the costuming of it. I really like the look of it. I understand like at first glance it seems maybe a little awkward, but 
it works for me. His he doesn't really have much, an extended snout like a lot of modern yeah. werewolves do. It's sort of you know more compact, like the original Wolfman. I think that's what I like about it. Yeah. I like that too. Well, to me, there's a difference between just a werewolf and the Wolfman. Ah, yeah. Wow. Okay. The Wolfman looks more like a man. Yeah. He's a specific type of werewolf he's right. Wolfman. you know recently recently i i discovered i think i watched like on youtube or something about uh special makeup effects for thriller and they were mentioning how that is actually a were cat right oh because he's he's you know they got the long whiskers and it's a flat face as well and i'm like oh that's why that that stands out to me as well is that 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 look is is very cool too and yeah and i i think i'm on your wavelength sebastian where i think it's Cool. The design is always cooler when it's more man than wolf. Yeah. This is when we get the first howl, which I think sounds pretty great. You know who was involved in making the howl? I do, but I'll let you deliver Lux it. Lux Interior? No. <laughs> he did the stuff for uh, Dracula. No, it was cool. David Lee Roth and Gene Simmons. The, cla- the two classiest people in the world. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. And, you know, it's fitting that we're discussing this now because Eddie Van Halen just passed away the day before yesterday. And, or was it? So sad. Yeah, so really sad. Super Rest sad. in peace, Eddie. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know how much of David Lee Roth and Gene Simmons there is actually in the, the howl, but they were apparently brought in to record some howling for the howl. So the villagers um, try to trap the wolf man with this, like, deer and the sort of dugout trap but you know it doesn't go well for them um one of the guys gets pulled into the trap and the wolfman messes him up pretty bad there's some good slashing and gore we haven't talked about um because i think this might no this is i don't know if this is the first one this might be the second one because there's there's definitely a couple throughout the film the wonderful decapitations this film delivers yeah and yes. it definitely happens. I think it might happen also at the first um, gypsy wolf out, but it definitely happens during this time with the, the yeah. little pit or whatever. He totally, the, the decapitation well, is great. No, it happens. One of the guys who is one of the, the- river, right? Yeah, no, he goes into like quicksand or something. Yes, yes. Um, he's one of the guys, he's the guy in the extended cut that he throws the drink at, at That the he, has pro- he has beef with. Oh. Yes, yes. yes. Nice. That's why I was talking about was so satisfactory because of the, now knowing what goes down in the pub, I'm like, right. oh, that that swipe had some meaning behind it. Yeah, that, <laughs> that guy runs into what looks like quicksand and he gets stuck there and the wolfman wades out to where he is and swipes off his head with a claw and it goes flying. And it's extremely satisfying. Yes. I really like this whole sequence. It's action-packed and gory and fun. And this is basically why you come to a Wolfman movie, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I, I always could use even more blood. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like when, you know, granted, there's a lot of killing and maiming, but like there's not a lot of splashing of blood. Like that's... To nitpick, you know, I just would like a little bit more splashes. More blood. Okay, so uh, then we get the, the scene that's in every werewolf movie where the the werewolf wakes up in the next day and he's all covered in blood and rags. He's a human again. Um, we've all been there. Yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> You know, he's sort of near the manor. I don't know. He's like out in the backyard. I don't know where he is, but he's like, inside a tree. a tree. He's, he's in inside a tree. a tree. He's in a tree. Like the tree's like hollowed out and he's like curled up in there. Yeah. 
And uh, dad is there basically like laughing at him like, oh, you did some terrible things. Yeah. Um, Reminded me of your, your, your terrible Muriel. He's clearly delighting in the fact yes. that like he's been on a, that Lawrence has been on a murder rampage. This movie had been more successful that you've done terrible things could have been like a classic line. Right. Yes. You know, if everybody knew this movie, people would be quoting that left and right. Yes. You know, after that night, that bachelor party, you've done terrible <laughs> things. But yeah, he basically, dad basically gives him up to the villagers who knocks him out. Then, you know, they t- they haul him to London to back to the old asylum. And, you know, they've got the total cliche German doctor clearly based on Freud they put him in this chair which is pretty amazing I have no idea if this is based on anything real but if they dunk him in a big pool of ice in like what looks like an electric chair but it's just an ice dunking chair it's a great image though I mean like whoever who cares if it works it looks like straight up torture but it looks so cool. Yeah. We go back into sort of montage mode here, which I'm not crazy about. It's, you know, he's he's getting tortured. Like at one point he's got like a bit in his teeth and he's like jabbering. Like I also think that we're supposed to pick up on the fact that time is passing here. Um, yeah. Which, uh, Jen, I know you had a problem with it because you're like, there's this place has just got nothing but full moons. <laughs> <laughs> I said the same thing. Like, they never show a not full moon. It's always just like, here it is. I think the montages are supposed to serve as a feeling of passing of time without, like, you know, doing the cliche thing of showing, like, a calendar whipping by really fast. You know, I mean. Yeah, a month goes by because he's got a turn at some point. And I believe that they're trying to set up the fact that they all do think that he's really legit crazy. Yes. Because he's acting crazy. And so, you know, the payoff later will be everyone thinks he's crazy and that he's not a werewolf. Yes. Hopkins shows up to hang around his cell as Lawrence is sort of straight-jacketed. And then we get the story of... You know, how dad became a werewolf, which was he was, you know, out in the Himalayas or something, and he went to a cave, and the Gollum werewolf boy was in the cave, and that werewolf boy bit him, and that's, you know, how he became a werewolf. If you're wondering why that's the story, it is similar to the setup of the story in uh, Werewolf of London, the original werewolf movie from that was actually before the wolf man sounds vaguely racist yeah it probably <laughs> was there's some feral asian kid man god damn it yeah it was racist we'll just assume it's racist if it's old and this is when we get confirmation in a flashback that dad killed mom as a werewolf uh which is surprising to no one and um you know, we get a look at the Anthony Hopkins werewolf and eh, yeah, the Anthony Hopkins wolfman. It's it's pretty good. It looks more like it's CG than makeup to me. I, you know, it's just for a flash. So who knows? My guess is probably Anthony Hopkins was not keen to put on tons of makeup. Mm-hmm. So he's probably, you know, they probably had to do it like that because he wouldn't go for it. Well, it's also where we learn that this is when... Um... Larry says to dad, like, you should just kill yourself. And he's like, I consider right. that, but life is too good. Yeah. I right. like, I like Wolfen that. is awesome. Yeah. Yep. But he, but he gives Larry a straight razor and it's like, you yeah. kill yourself. <laughs> you should. 
And then, uh, you know, so yeah, he gives Larry the razor and then he, we see Hopkins leaving the, the uh, asylum and he's, he's jamming down on the harmonica as he walks out. Yeah. And I, I had said to, even said to you, I was like, who is playing the harmonica in, the, in this asylum? And you were like, that's Hopkins. Like he's just like, do, do, do on the, the little mouth harp going down the hallway. He's doing a little John Popper as, as he walks down the hallway. <laughs> Yeah, the the character is musical. He's always playing the piano, yeah. and I know that Anthony Hopkins always plays the piano. And like, oh. anytime he can put it in, put it into a movie. You know, he even writes the the pieces, and then so he'll play some noodle on the piano, and they'll be like, "Leave it in." Where what is that? He's like, "I wrote that," and then so they'll he, he does that a lot because he's a pretty accomplished pianist. Oh, cool! So that's totally that's cool. Hopkins. Okay. Yeah. Nice. All right. Cool. Well, that's good to know. Then we go on to what may be the best scene in the movie, yep. which is yeah. the uh, very ill-advised nighttime asylum <laughs> lecture. I mean, at yeah. first I'm like, why are they doing it this this at night? But then the the doctor says, like, well, I'm doing this to show you he won't turn into a werewolf. Yeah. Oh, um, so good. But yeah, so they're in like a you know theater. Uh, operating theater or whatever and they wheel in Benicio and he's in you know like a strapped down chair it it definitely at this point we're veering into sort of dark comedy because the the doctor is you know lecturing with his back turned to Benicio about how he's not going to turn into a werewolf and how he's just crazy and Benicio's like you need to go get out of here. I'll kill all of you. And, and nobody's listening. And then, so the doctor's lecturing and he starts to change behind him. And the, the guys in the theater are like pointing, like, like, look, look behind you. And he just keeps talking. So good. It's pretty funny. It's um, the best. The only thing that bothers me is that he doesn't kill everyone. I want everybody in that room dead. I, yeah. This should have been a pile of bodies, man. Like that that was the only More minor blood. quibble with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. All those fuck all those guys. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they did promise everyone would die and not everyone dies. And the transformation, they do like show his like jaw mm-hmm. like snapping and like yeah. teeth rolling into weird places. Yeah. I thought that was cool that like, oh, we'll save some weird transformation stuff for this time so that, you know, you, you see different anatomy changing. Yeah. And the first transformation is done in that crypt and it's sort of dark and there's candlelight. And so, you know, yeah. this is like bright, you know, this is a brightly lit yeah, nothing you know, operating me. theater and he's, you know, they're really showing you the change. I think that change looks really good here. Actually. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was really like, I, I was super, super into this and just really ready for Larry to fuck everybody up. And it just, it looked so much, the change, I, I just, I liked it so much better in this, in this scene. And I don't know if it was pro, you know, partially because it was leading up to something that was going to be very satisfying. You knew it was going to be right. just the sweetest plum. It's all about the scene and wanting to see him go ape shit on all these doctors. It's, it's a lot of fun. There's a funny moment where, one of the one of the doctors is trying to get out and the guy's at the door and another guy's in, at the door not letting him out and meanwhile Larry's carving through people left and right. <laughs> yeah, the guy at the door is like like mopping the floor or something. Yes. He was like yeah. I, he's like I think it's locked. Yeah. <laughs> it's the most it's not my job. There's some like slightly poor wire work here where you can tell like 
when he actually throws the the main doctor out the window you can yeah and it's just like there's no weight to him at all yeah the gravity floats out the window instead of actually being thrown but you know it's nitpicky you know it's just it's just satisfying though it's still all satisfying yes yeah Oh, and I just love that one part where, like, I think he's got like a big chunk of a guy in his mouth, <laughs> yeah. And he just and he looks. That's when he spots the actual doctor, uh-huh. and then and then the the piece of meat just drops, and he's like, raw. It looks like a liver. Yeah, it is. That is a great shot. Like that is so yep. good. And then he throws the doctor out the window, and he lands on the oh yes. the, uh, spiked fence. You know, which is always yeah. good. Skewered, yes. Yeah. Somebody skewered on a spiked iron rot fence is always a winning proposition. (laughs) So Larry escapes from the asylum. Uh, He basically goes on sort of a rooftop uh, chase scene. Um, They have the scene, they have, you know, the sort of prerequisite scene where he like gets on a gargoyle and howls at the moon you know, it's an easy lay moment, but I'm an easy lay for gargoyle perches. Pretty much <laughs> like that whenever it's in a movie. We get Hugo Weaving has clued into this and he's sort of chasing him on ground while the Wolfman is running across the rooftop. We get a really, you know, this sequence really sort of highlights this running thing where he's running you know along the roofs and then he drops into a on to all fours and starts running on all fours again this moment feels to me kind of like a superhero movie moment you know because he's Mm -hmm. going from rooftop to rooftop you know and i can see why maybe some people you know who are expecting a more sort of straightforward grounded horror movie might not like this stuff but I like big budget spectacle and this is where the movie is sort of delivering on that. For sure. Why, why would you have an issue with this just because it's too CG and too fantastical? It's just not a horror movie thing. Uh, It's, you know, it's, it's like a, like I said, it's like a big budget. It's more of a sci-fi or superhero thing. Because to him, like jumping off of rooftops or just to be like a big sort of animal loose. Cause I mean, isn't that American werewolf in London ends like that. So Right, but not done with hundred million dollars and computer right, generated right. effects. <laughs> okay. I don't. I didn't have a problem with it. I was enjoying it. I just was like, "You're kind know. of, you know, you're more of a horror fan than a sci-fi or superhero yeah. movie fan." So, like, but I was okay with that. Okay, no, it didn't bother me at all. No, I was just like, like it's been like it's it builds up so much to this moment. Where I kind mm. of feel like, you know, I know we talked about earlier that, you know, Larry doesn't get to fully enjoy his wolfing. But I feel like for a minute here when he's like going all around London and doing, I mean, I think he might might be enjoying these rooftops for a minute. You know, yeah. like being yeah. able to like, OK, maybe this isn't all bad. You know, like there's, mm-hmm. you know, the superhuman strength that he has. Um, but yeah, I just I mean, it's such a such a climax that it comes to with everything that happens at the asylum and then he's just like you know he's just he's just going balls out so i i think they, they deliver Agreed. there's a fun sort of little uh bookend to the scene where he sort of jumps down and he's he's in you know i don't know piccadilly circus or something like that a train there's a train car that gets derailed and it like runs over a dude while it's getting yeah. derailed and you see the guy like ah <laughs> it's like, pretty great then falls over on its side and it's full of people and the wolfman like jumps on top of it and he looks in through one like, a side window and there's a really cool shot of him like looking in through the glass 
And then yeah. he breaks through the glass and like falls into the train car and then starts slashing away at people, <laughs> really yeah, messing them up. I think the action is pretty well done. Could it be a little better? Maybe. But I think for the most part, and this might actually be one area where Joe Johnston was a pretty good choice to come yeah. in. Because I don't imagine Mark Romanek would have really cared very much about these action sequences. True. And Johnston does, I mean, he's not like known for being a great action director, but he's solid. And, you know, he did Jurassic Park 3, which has some fun sequences. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he comes from the Spielberg camp, so he knows what he's doing with action. Yeah, so. the action is not the sticking point here, for no. sure. Lawrence goes on his werewolf bender, and uh, he ends up under a bridge, as we all have been after a bender, <laughs> by London Bridge, in fact. And uh, mm-hmm. he drinks some, he wakes up in the morning, and he's back in his tattered, bloody clothes, and he, like, drinks some really gross water from a puddle. And then... We learn that Gwen apparently owns an antique shop or something mm-hmm. in London, which is not set up at all. Nope. But she's she's going to her open up her store for the day. And Larry has, I guess, figured out. I mean, it says her name on the if you, you look at the uh, signage on her store. It wait, says, wait, is this where we learn that sh- that Mary Poppins and Wolfman are in the same universe? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so she goes into her antique store that hasn't been set up, and he's, like, sleeping under something in there. A table or something. A table. And then, uh, you know, they have a scene. He tells her that he knows his father was the original werewolf, and she wants to help him. We get more sort of romance moments here, which don't necessarily... That's in quotes, romance. Right. (laughs) No, but we we get a kiss here. All right. It was so hot, I've forgotten it. <laughs> anyway, um, Hugo Weaving shows up and, you know, he shows her the newspaper drawings of the wolf carnage. And, you know, he basically detains her. You know, they figure out that Larry's been in there and they they think he's hiding behind a mirror. And he, like, shoots the mirror. and But behind the mirror is, like, this Pan statue. <laughs> it's such a like great a statue yeah. of the god Pan. Weird. I'm a Pan fan. <laughs> Not a Peter Pan fan. Pan, Pan, Greek god Pan, one half goat, the other half man. Yeah, so yeah, the mirror gag is cool. Um, in the un- Now in the unrated cut, that's where we get the scene of Larry walking around London and there's a paper boy selling papers like, Wolfman kills everyone! <laughs> and Larry buys all the papers from him. A sort of weird comedic moment that doesn't really <laughs> fit, but you know. Then we get this montage as both of them make their way back to the Blackmore mansion. She's on a train and a horse and stuff, but poor Larry's, he's just hoofing it the whole way. That's right, yeah. Climbing through the moors, looking very forlorn. Yeah, and there's like, there's like a solid five to ten shots of him, depending on which version you watch, of like just walking around. <laughs> If they didn't do that, everybody would be like, what, he just walked back in like a yeah, day? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You, can't, you can't win. Gwen is trying to find uh, Geraldine Chaplin's gypsy woman. So she does eventually meet her in a barn. And, you know, there's this whole sort of scene where she's talking about how much, you know, she wants to save him. And it's kind of like this uncomfortably anti-feminist sort of moment. 
you know, where it's like, I can change him, that that All kind right, of thing. Yeah. Like, it I can change works. the abusive boyfriend mm-hmm. right. moment, which was eh, a little uncomfortable there. Also at this time, though, there's um there's a total suit-up scene going on with uh, Hugo Weaving. Yeah. He's riding in the carriage and loading up his silver bullets because yeah. he's, a, he's a believer now. Yes. He's turned a, a, turned a corner on this wolfman this werewolf business and he's ready to like lay down some silver bullets. Wouldn't all of London have turned believers <laughs> after a giant wolf man just came marauding like in Piccadilly uh, square. I mean, come on, what's going on? Fake, fake news, Chris, fake news. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> there were crazy um, urban myths going around London in that period. There was a famous sort of monster called spring Jack that would, like supposedly come jumping down from roofs and like attack people and then jump away into another roof doing impossible things. So that kind of stuff actually happened in London and there was never any explanation for it. I'm sure I'm in all parts of the world, but there are famous stories from London of crazy, of crazy stuff like that. So, Mm. so Larry makes it back to the manor just in time for the full moon, but Poor Kim Thale, Sikh manservant, is dead. He's a corpse sort of hanging on the wall. So I guess we're to assume that uh, Pop killed him. Didn't have any more use for him. He's yeah, that was lame. Why, I wanted to see what happened to him. I mean, what? Well, and they sort of set him up as a badass. So Yeah, he's yeah. a great shot. And then, like, he's just dead? It is off screen. And we don't get yeah. any. I mean, we can only assume that it, you know, it was dad wolfing out when he did it mm-hmm. you know yeah but but it's yeah he deserved he deserved an on-screen screen kill if he was gonna if he's yeah. gonna die he uh larry gets the key off of the dead uh seek that unlocks his case full of his trunk full of silver bullets the dog who we haven't mentioned i forget his name but he gets a nice sort of a big dog he gets a nice jump scare here and one thing i appreciated there's shit is about to go down in the manor, but Larry lets the dog out. Yeah. He lets him go. Cool. Does the wolfman also let the deer go at, at one point too and chase a man instead of a deer? Yeah, or... the deer, when they first try to trap him with the deer, he doesn't kill the deer. The dog is That's Samson, cool. by the way. Samson. Samson, yeah. Nice. Larry hears dad in the parlor playing the piano, playing it with bloody fingers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I it's guess, a cool shot. Very cool. I guess it's the Sikh's blood on his fingers. I don't know somebody's blood well there's a there's a dead guy on like the chair too, oh right it's so, the like, it's the the inspector's pal hugo weaving's right hand guy yeah and then we get sort of hopkins doing the supervillain speech it's pretty great hopkins ham so yeah they they kind of have their big confrontation moment hopkins hits him with the cane mm-hmm. at that point it's a little bit repetitive just because i feel like we already kind of got the supervillain speech from dad at the asylum and we're just kind of getting more of that hopkins starts throwing shit around and this is oh, i love when he throws that chair it's so badass but but it's totally what you were saying where the wire work is kind of like suspect like it just kind of yes. goes flying off and... but hopkins man just like the, the look on his face and the way he so nonchalantly does it it's ridiculous but awesome at the same time 
I didn't I didn't have an issue with any like I just like buy in that these like wolf dudes have all the strength in the world. So like anything is going to be like just like nothing. You know, it's like, no, I like it in concept. It's just like technically if you're if you're really paying attention to it. Yes. It looks a little like somebody yanking a wire and pulling a. Yeah, pulling yeah. a piece of furniture off screen. Exactly. Right. So they both wolf out and they do the thing where they like charge at each other mm-hmm. and like smash chests. It's definitely a post matrixy type of werewolf wire fight for mm-hmm. for a minute, and it ends with Larry decapitating Dad, which is great. A good decapitation. It's you know kind of CG looking, but it's it's a pretty good death. And uh, doesn't he, doesn't his head like fly into the the, the fireplace? Mm, I, no, no, he kicks him into the fireplace. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like, he kicks him to the fireplace, yeah. right? But the head actually, we see the head kind of de wolf. Yeah, you know, it starts like to going back to dad. But another thing about dad wolfing out and them having the big fight, which I appreciated because I was able to differentiate as to who was who, um, mm. was that dad shirtless. <laughs> Thankfully, only as a werewolf, yeah. not just Hopkins shirtless. So uh, Gwen and Hugo show up and, you know, the Wolfman bites Hugo, which is a setup for a sequel that'll never happen. I think, that, you know, the sequel was going to maybe be Hugo Weaving as Inspector Werewolf or whatever. I would have watched and, that. Yeah, me too. I totally <laughs> would have watched that. We do get Hugo Weaving in uh, Joe Johnston's next movie. Uh, Captain America because he plays the, oh, the Red uh, Skull. Red, right. the Red Skull. So I guess maybe they liked working together. Who knows? And, you know, the manor burns down because that's what manors always have to do mm-hmm. in horror movies. The Wolfman chases Gwen out into the woods with the torch-wielding villagers following after them because you got to have that in a universal mo- monster movie. Um, you know, the woods look cool. She's sort of hiding behind some trees and there's lots of fog and he's sort of, you know, chasing, chasing. You see him in the background. Uh, he chases her to the waterfall where they had that moment, but not the place where they skipped stones, the waterfall. Right. Where the where the brothers had that was their refuge. refuge. The yeah. refuge. Yeah. Yes. Um, he, he sort of like tackles her and pushes her down to the ground. But she's like, you know me, you know me. Good acting uh, here mm-hmm. from... I mean, mm-hmm. she's good the whole movie. Oh, yeah. She's great. Really good moment here where she's sort of trying to convince him to kind of recognize who she is, even though he's in werewolf form. I liked that you could see her in his pupils, by the yeah. way. That I thought that was, I mean, mm-hmm. I know it's kind of hokey or whatever, but I, I appreciated that. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing's kind of hokey, but it, it, yeah. you know, it's the scene you need to have in yes. the you know, werewolf movie. Villagers are coming, basically. You know, he's going to kill her, but then he, she gets through to him and then, he, you know, he stops. Then she, they hear the villagers coming and then she shoots him because she's got a gun with her with silver bullets, presumably in it. A little, eh, I mean, I would have preferred the cane, but I, I mean, why didn't she have the cane? And then, you know, pulled out the knife and stabbed him in the heart or something. And then he, you know, transforms back into Larry and dies in their arms and they have this sort of you know sad doomed love moment which in all honesty no one cares about i cared you cared yeah i did actually i did i did actually well that that moment was like i mean it was because he he like kind of he starts to um after she shoots him and then he kind of like turns over to his side and then he kind of i think he grabs her arm so it's uh, kind yeah. of like a little, a little bit of a jump yeah. scare, but then you can see he's coming back to being Larry, 
And yeah. then and then he says that's when he was like, thank you. And he was like, it had to be this way, you know, because right. it's like he was this, you know, now he's a tortured guy. And I don't know. I, 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 I actually did care. I cared. He dies and Hugo shows up and we see that he's got the cane. And, you know, again, they're sort of I think it's sort of you're supposed to sort of think, oh, this this is he's going to be in the sequel. And then, you know. They show the moon, and there's more uh, of Emily's voiceover, and then we're out. And you know, we've got sort of horror movie style Wolfman end credits, which are pretty cool. They're you know they're stylish and cool. I, I can't help but think of you know Dracula, where Mina chops Dracula's head off, and you know they're the sort of lovers' souls that are always meant to be. So that makes sense to me that you know she should be the one to kill him, but. I, I just feel like they're trying to shoehorn that same story into this by by the gypsy saying it has to be someone who loved him. I'm like, well, does does she even say like, oh, for his soul to be fine? Or I mean, like, what's the point of that? Like, would he have lived if anybody else shot him with silver bullets? Like, why does it have to be someone who loved him? It just it seems like they're just really forcing yeah. the whole story at this point. I think. I think they are sort of going to that well. They're, you know, I think they're mm-hmm. figuring, hey, it worked for Dracula, you know. Right. It'll work for the Wolfman. <laughs> I, I definitely think this movie is is trying to capture the magic of, in some ways, of that Coppola Dracula. That's mm-hmm. definitely what it's aiming for. Right. I mean, some people hate the Coppola Dracula, so, right. you know, it's... It's not like that movie's universally loved either. Sure, sure. It's more people like it now than they used to. But I remember back in the day, nobody was hankering for more of that. Well, there's a lot of problems with you know, it. Everybody was just like, oh, Keanu sucked, you know. And like, exactly. It's it's not like it was that beloved at the time. It made money, though. That's why yes, they made, made the rest money. of these. So. And this movie didn't. <laughs> so on that note, you know, my sort of feelings about why this movie tanked like i said i think that trailers unfortunately by showing the cg transformation i think turned some people off i think that benicio del toro is not the kind of actor or leading man that brings in money you know Mm -hmm. like he's just not if this had been brad pitt or somebody i think it would have probably stood a better chance even though yeah. I like Benicio and and I know he was really passionate about doing this. I think that probably didn't help. And I think that, you know, when it came out, the reviews were pretty abysmal um and I think that is largely due to the sort of terrible editing. I think the yeah. the editing is bad and I think that sort of hurt the movie critically. I don't know if if they had released the longer version in the theaters, if that would have been received any better, probably wouldn't have been because I think like Chris fairly pointed out that I think a lot of the problems are in the script, unfortunately. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think it was going to do that well with critics either way, but if it had been more embraced by fans, then maybe there would have been some word of mouth and it wouldn't have tanked nearly as badly. But even a bigger sort of issue. And I think that we're seeing this with all of these universal, these attempts at these universal monsters is that I don't know if people care about them, you know, like mm-hmm. they've tried now with Wolfman. They've tried with another, you know, a new Dracula. They've tried with the mummy with Tom Cruise. And it's like, they're none of them are hitting and it's too bad because obviously I'm a fan. I love the universal monsters, but I just don't think, 
that they're big money movies. Now, you know, yeah. the, the recent Invisible Man that just came out did it smart because it's a low budget movie. It's contemporary. It's not hinging on your love of the Invisible Man to sell it. It's it's just giving you a movie with an Invisible Man and calling it the Invisible Man. And it's like, you know, whatever, a $5 million movie as opposed to a $100 million movie. So it's, you know. 150 right? Yeah, or whatever. If you bring the budgets of these things way down and do these sort of scaled back attempts at rebooting these series and do them, you know, in a modern setting, which isn't to my preference because I, I like the cool gothic setting. But, you know, you could probably do gothic for cheaper than 150 million how do you know how much it costs to make shape of water because that's i mean that's clearly got some creature going on there yeah i mean but it was probably you know 50 million or something but you know shape of water while it had a lot of design really rich design and everything it didn't have a lot of action yeah the action is what costs a lot of money yeah for a lot of these things Mm. you can have something look great and have it be period and stuff but as long as you're not throwing in like massive action sequences, you know, you're not going to reach that hundred million dollar mark or whatever. But also, no, how much did Anthony Hopkins get walk away with here? I right. feel like he, you know, he was commanding some money. The costs yeah. were high, you know, and I think something like Shape of Water, though it's not like cheap, it's not, you know, Michael Shannon isn't going to demand $50 right. million. Right. It felt like they weren't holding back on the budget on anything here. I feel, yeah. I feel like they were just like, open the floodgates and just make the best yeah movie we can. And there's a lot of good things here though. Like, you know, there was the, it looks good. Like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a bummer. And I, you know, I, I would love to see the, the universal monsters live on. Um, I, I, we haven't seen an attempt at a creature film and that's why I was yeah. thinking of shape of water, but yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 it's weird because like I said in the beginning, my first watch, I was kind of ambivalent about the whole thing. And then watching closely uh, the theatrical and the um, unrated version, um, I just came to like the film a lot more. Yeah. I think if you were to see this bar, uh, if you were to see this movie, you know, at a bar with the sound off, you'd probably be like, this movie looks incredible. Oh my God, the Wolfman, Anthony Hopkins is in this, Emily Blunt, you'd, you'd think this is the greatest movie and then you'd go home, rent it, watch it with the sound and go, wait, this movie sucks. Like what what happened, you know? Because the production design, the cinematography, all, there's so, so many of the elements are right, but then the crucial elements like the story, the editing and the direction fail. And that's, it's kind of like, right down the middle where you got half good, half bad, and then it just doesn't come together. Um, and knowing that, you know, every, everybody, it went forward with a last minute director change will pull the rug out from any production, I think. So just look at Solo or, and you know, like, I mean, like they brought it into port. It's not a terrible movie. I, you know, it, it was watchable. Um, you mean the Wolfman or the, the Solo? Wolf, no, the Wolf, sorry. <laughs> the Wolfman was watchable and is, is, a fine enough movie, but especially with the watching the extended cut was a bit of a drag. So you preferred the you preferred the I preferred the theatrical cut because it just gets to the point, you know, gets to the gore and gets to the, the. But I understand why you would watch the extended cut if you were just 
you want to luxuriate in the feel of the movie because the feel of the movie is is good. You know, they got the gothic horror thing. You know, we've we've gone over it, and yeah, I just I think that it's just too boring, and they needed to add uh, some more um, interesting twists and add a little bit more um, you know modern Blood. juice juice to it. Yeah, in order to <laughs> in order to make it stand out. And and then also I, I t- to piggyback on that, Chris was you know I feel like because and you brought this up too, Sebastian. It's like who is it really for? Because like you said, it's not like there's elements of it that aren't something that a um, horror fan is going to really be into, you know, because of more of the action type, like the sequences. And it's just, I don't know. It didn't, I don't know if it was really defined for a a person. So, or it it could have become like I had a cult following other than, you know, having like the basis of being the Wolfman, but the actual film didn't have like that, thing that it's like oh you know this is what horror fans like loves i mean you kind of have that because you you love the way he looks but like if if um you know if like we said earlier if like the the transformation could have been kick-ass then like that would have been something that people were talking about you know like if it would have been the transformation or like if there would have been um some real hamming it up like if we would have got like full Hopkins, like you know, being really Machiavellian, like over the top yeah. or something like that. There, there needed to be something that had people talking. Well, I think your point of, you know, who is this for? It's not quite, you know, hitting the target for horror fans. It's not quite hitting the target because there's too much sort of slow drama scenes exactly. for for fans of big spectacle action movies or sci-fi or whatever stuff with big money and big production design. It's not really hitting that target and it's not really hitting. It's definitely not hitting the target for people who are into period dramas. (laughs) If that's what you're going for. So ivory, it is not, I think, you know, it's, you know, yes, they didn't know who they were making this for, which I think is going to be a theme that we find a lot in this podcast. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> they made they're made it for podcasters in the 2020 to dissect <laughs> exactly this will be great for them <laughs> that's who this is made for all right well um that wraps up our discussion of the 2010 wolfman thank you for joining me yeah yay thank you oh <laughs> <laughs> That about does it today for Tentpole Trauma. If you like what you heard, check out our social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for Tentpole Trauma. That was easy, wasn't it? If you like us, hit subscribe and leave us a sterling review on iTunes, if you dare. If you really like us, head over to Patreon.com and get involved in one of our fabulous tiers. You'll be glad you did. Want to communicate with Tentpole Trauma? Send an email to tentpoletrauma at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And who knows, one day you may even get your email read on one of our shows. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you real soon.